dang, I wish I was a girl, then I could get an easy bake oven like that. Because <laughs> you're a boy, you're not getting hooked up with that. No, uh-uh. Oh, good morning, church. Oh, it's good to see you today. Uh, we want to welcome you to our third week of Ohana. This is our August Family Month, and our theme is the Summer of Wisdom, and we've been spending time in the book of Proverbs. Now, today, we're going to be in one verse. One verse is all we're going to deal with for the next few minutes, and uh, it's a verse that a lot of us are familiar with and a verse that is important for us here at North Shore. And so if you'd like to be reading along with us, our ushers have got Bibles ready for you. Just lift your hand if you need one. They'll get it to you. Otherwise, if you've got Bible apps, get them open. Let's do this together, all right? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Yep, I went ahead and I did a little switch on the pronouns right there because I wanted to make sure, even though that normally says he, I wanted to make sure we get all the he and the she's, everybody all together in this. And this is the English standard version. But I want to I uh, share with you just a couple of other translations that I thought would be kind of cool for us today. One is the message translation, which reads this way. It says, point your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they won't be lost. I like that. And then we got the living Bible that says, teach a child to choose the right path. And when they are old, when they are older, they will remain upon it. So I wanted to share these translations be, uh, because for me, they just kind of, they just kind of hit different. Point your kids in the right direction so that when we parents and older folk are no longer around, they won't get lost. Teach them to choose the right path. You know what that tells us? That tells us that if there's a right direction, then there's a wrong one. And if there's a right path to be on, you can get off of it. And this kind of sounds and kind of feels like this thing called wisdom. And the reason why I say that is because if you possess wisdom, you'll know the difference of being on the right path and off of it. So, you might be saying, well, Damien, listen, um, there's not just one way of doing things. There's new ways. There's newer perspectives. Things change. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But my question is, are you able to detect the wisdom in those new things? in the newness, because there's always going to be new. And I think before we jump into this, this scripture, we dig into this, I think a question is being begged that probably we should address, and it is this. What is the difference between being smart and being wise? See, from what I can tell, being smart or intelligent is simply knowing a lot of stuff, okay? And I, I know some people who know a lot of stuff. And I love those people because they know a lot of stuff. And I kind of rely on that. But it, it does kind of beg the question, I mean, is it all about knowledge? Well, I want you to know here at North Shore, we value knowledge, we think it's good. Our biblical foundation ministry exists for the purpose of helping us with our biblical literacy, literacy, literacy. Excuse me. We want you to know the Bible. We want you to understand the Bible, but not for the purpose of just knowledge's sake. 
but so that you can begin to live it out. Okay? So, I think being wise is having a masterful understanding of life. And expertise in good decision-making. Boy, you don't hear that one very often. Expertise in good decision-making. Oh, if I could just take a moment, can I just talk to, I know we, we don't have a lot of kids and young adults, and, but if I can just talk to you for just a second. This is Dad Damien talking to you, all right? If you just spend the rest of your life with your eyes on God and making good decisions, Oh, you have no idea how much that means to us. We will live long, healthy lives if you do that. And if we die early, it's your fault. No, that's not true. That's not true. Okay. So, so kids, students, young adults that are here with us today, I just want to talk to you for a quick second. If you're wondering where to start on this path of knowledge and wisdom, I want to encourage you to remember, maybe even commit this verse to memory. It's Proverbs 1, verse 7, where the writer says, the fear of the Lord is where knowledge starts. Excuse me, I apologize. I was looking at the wrong line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, the fear of the Lord is where knowledge starts. And, and not fear in being afraid of God, but fear in the honor, the respect, the reverence of God is where knowledge begins. But when you turn away from wisdom and instruction, listen, if, if I can just sh share this with you, here's two things, talking to our younger folks here, there's two things you never ever want said about you. One is having a reputation of being foolish. That means this is what people are saying about you, okay? The second one is actually taking pride in being foolish. You don't want any part of that, okay? All right, good, I'm just gonna leave that right there, okay. So now that I've shared this as just kind of a backdrop, stepping into Proverbs chapter two, chapter 22, verse 26, um, we're gonna actually shift and we're gonna take a look at this from a really unique perspective. We're gonna take a few moments and we're gonna look at this from the Hebrew view. From the Hebrew view. See, here's the literal Hebrew translation of this verse. Go into the glasses. Dedicate a child in the way of his mouth, and when he is old, he will not turn aside from it. In the way of his mouth? Okay, we're going to come back to that, all right? Let's go ahead and let's, let's spend just a moment on the word that we've always known that started that verse, which is the word train, but they use a different word here in, in the Hebrew. See, in the Hebrew, the word train doesn't refer to teaching, but instead to dedication or consecration. And man, that, that word carries some different weight to it, okay? Now, 
to our kids and students, you might be wondering, okay, wh when exactly is something consecrated, all right? And, and what does that even mean? That's, that didn't even sound like common language. Uh, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. So let me go ahead and just share this story with you real quick. It comes out of Second Chronicles chapter 29. There's this guy. His name is Hezekiah, and he's got a really unique role. So to just give you a quick backdrop on this, Israel, some years, way, way, way even further back than Hezekiah, got upset because they were looking around at all the other nations, and all the other nations had something that they didn't. And it's called a king. So they threw a hissy fit and said, we want a king. And God gave them one. His name was Saul. And if you know anything about Saul, that didn't go real well. Well, now we're, we're further on down the line, and we've come to this guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is now king, and he's only 25 years old. See, he's a young dude. But the very first thing that he does is that he gathers the priests and the Levites together, and they go to the temple of the Lord, and they start cleaning it out. You know that commercial, Got Junk? There we go. They pulled the truck up and they started unloading all of the mess that was in there that actually desecrated the temple. Ne never had any business being in there in the first place. Then he tells the, 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 uh, the priests and the Levites to go, to go and take time to cleanse yourself and to prepare yourselves again uh, to the calling with which you have. In other words, he sent them away to be consecrated. Because he knew that, with the, that the children of Israel, the people of Israel, would need the priests and the Levites to begin to lead them back into worship as it was intended with the offerings and sacrifices and things that they had moved away from. And so when the priests and Levites had gone and done that, they come back and now they begin entering into this time of worship that was pleasing unto the Lord. Hezekiah was a, I was about to say he was a good king. He was a mostly good king. He almost got it all right, but he kind of wavered off there at the end. So you're saying, okay, so this guy Hezekiah, he goes and he consecrates the temple by doing all this stuff. Well, what does that have to do with me? What, what, what would I be looking at as consecrated? Well, let's talk. Some of you have this thing called a room. And some of you look at that space as sacred, okay? Some of you even have the audacity to tell your parents, stay out of my room. Get out of my room. This is my space. Okay, can I just encourage my kids that are here right now, if you're living at home, don't ever tell your parents this is my room. Don't do that. See, if you're paying rent, now the conversation changes, right? But if you ain't paying rent, don't ever tell your parents, get out of my room. No, we have granted you this space because we want you to have it. We know you need it. But if you ain't paying for it, don't claim it as if it is something that you own, that you've bought and paid for. All right, now let's get back to where we were. But you look at your space, this space, your room, as yours. You walk in that door, you close it behind you, and now you have a space that is yours. You get to sit with your thoughts, you get to journal, you get to call and mess with your friends, you get to go online, looking at all the right stuff. Okay, just want y'all to know, all right, looking at the right stuff. 
and you get to just be. And you, without even realizing it, have made that space sacred. You have. You have consecrated that space as being yours, and you need it, and you cherish it, maybe a little too much. So does that kind of help you understand what the whole thing of being consecrated means? I hope so. I really do. Now, let's take a look at this phrase, in the way of his mouth. Your first reaction might be, is this saying dedicate a child concerning the words that are coming out of their mouth? That would make total sense. And actually, that phrase actually hits that reference pretty often. But what if in the way of his mouth actually pointed towards train up our children with right appetites? With right appetites. Because we can have wrong appetites. Some of us today have wrong appetites. You know what you should be eating for dinner. It should not involve a drive-thru. I know, did it, was, that, was that too much? Was that too soon? Did I, just, did I just get in there a little too fast? And here's the thing, our children even understand what a right appetite is. Go ahead and serve them for dinner tonight. Starburst, what else? Uh, Skittles, and then a couple of liters of their favorite sodas. And say, bon appetit, here you go. I can tell you right now, your kids aren't going to move. They're going to stop. They're going to look at you and go, are you serious? This is dinner? Because they don't believe you. Because if you've been feeding them decent, healthy meals, they, they know you're messing with them right now. Okay, you're trying to set us up. No, 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 no. I'm not touching this candy. See, I touch this candy, something's going to happen to me. So, uh-uh, no, no, no. See, they understand what a right appetite is. Now, they'll probably still eat the candy, but God, and see, appetites aren't wrong. God gave them to us. He gave us appetites for, for good, healthy food, for human interaction, for being out in the sunlight, for being in the water, for listening to music, for being in conversation and relationship. He gave us those appetites. They're good and they're healthy. So when you begin to think of dedicate, consecrate your child in the way of right appetites. Maybe it has less to do with what's coming out of their mouth and more about what's coming in to them and what they develop appetites for. Okay. Now we're going to do just a quick little, quick little English lesson here. We're going to talk about these things called idioms. Not idiots. Idioms. I-D-I-O-M-S. Okay, an idiom is a group of words together that have a certain meaning. But those words, if you were to separate them, it changes the meaning altogether and doesn't make any sense. So like, for instance, uh, the phrase, it was raining cats and dogs. Okay, we all know there's no such thing as cats and dogs coming down from heaven and falling. And, and no, nobody's ever seen that. That's never happened. But with the reference, you get it. It means, man, it was raining like I have never seen before, right? In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, there's this reference to 
God, when he brought Israel up out of Egypt, and in verse 34, it refers to God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm. Now, see, if you go back and you actually look at that whole experience of Moses coming, the plagues and, and uh, Israel being delivered, there's, there's, there's no mention of God's hand or his outstretched arm, but for the Hebrews, we talk about God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm. They got it. When you look into the book of Job, He's in chapter 19, and he is just in the midst of just a horrible time, and his enemies are surrounding him, and he cries out to them, and, and I want to read this to you to make sure I get this right, because I, when I read this, I was like, this is hilarious. He says, my bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. By the skin of my teeth. We use that today. Man, did you make it? Man, I got by by the skin of my teeth. No, nobody's teeth has skin. But if you do have skin on your teeth today, I, I have a wonderful dental hygienist I would like to recommend for you. So if you ever wonder where that particular phrase comes from, the Bible. So the phrase, the way of his mouth is actually used throughout the Old Testament and it usually refers to what someone has said. But here's a unique moment. In Leviticus chapter 24, that phrase is actually interpreted the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord. And this is helpful in helping us understand um, Proverbs 22, 6 because the emphasis is on the will of the child. The writer of Proverbs is saying, dedicate a child according to their own will, and when they are old, they won't turn aside from it. And I got to tell you, as a parent, boy, that resonated hard with me because I have multiple children, and each one has their own will. And that makes parenting hard. Why won't the Lord just give us children and they all have one will? It just it makes it a little easier, just a little easier. It's still going to be hard because you still got to deal with that will, but it makes it a little easier. But no, each one of our children has their own will, and the Lord is saying, dedicate them with this will that they have to the right path, to right direction, to right appetites, so that when they get old, they won't turn away from it. Now, Here's an interesting thing in that a lot of theologians look at this particular verse as a guarantee. They look at it as, you know, hey, here it is. Dedicate, consecrate your child to the way they should go when they're old. They won't turn from it. Box checked, all right? But if you look at Proverbs chapter 22, there's actually this pattern that the writer does, which is really interesting, where it's warnings that you actually see. See, like in verse 5, it says, and I'm just kind of, you know, doing this in my own wording here. It says, in verse 5, keep away or suffer the consequences. In verse 7, don't get into debt or suffer the, suffer the consequences. In verse 8, don't be unjust or suffer the consequences. So this is actually a warning that if we allow our children to have their own way, they may never depart from that foolishness when they get older and they end up suffering the consequence. 
All right. So this might have felt a little heavy for our parents here, maybe even for our kids. I mean, it's, it's not every day that we're looking at stuff through a Hebrew lens. But what if we just took a moment and just look at it from today's view, from just where we are today? So parents, I want you to consider this perspective. Three things for you. The first one is this. You have a responsibility as a parent. And I know you just looked at me and went, Duh, <laughs> we know that. Tell us something we don't know. Well, consider what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, when he wrote, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Not when you get around to it. Not if you feel okay with it. But this is instruction. We have a responsibility as a parent. Number two, you have influence as a parent. You really do. Our children are like sponges. They just soak stuff up. There's the stuff that they want to soak up, and then there's the stuff that just happens. So we get to, as parents, have influences in their life. What kind of influence? We'll just go one, one chapter back in Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and Paul says, hey, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So here's how this worked. This is what I think God had in mind. If we are imitating God, and if our children are imitating us, I think that's the way it's supposed to work. Because when you see behavior from your children and it looks familiar, that should make sense to you. I have to tell you over the years of being here, when any of you have interacted with one of my boys and you come tell me, boy, he is just like you. There is one part of me that says, oh, thanks. There's another part of me that says, what did he do? <laughs> I want to make sure I know what I'm owning up to right now. But you know what? If I'm starting to see behavior that I know they're imitating that's not from me and not from their mother, that's an uh-oh moment. Because that means they saw it someplace else, from someone else. So, hey, we have influence as parents. You have influence as a parent. Leverage it. Use it. Because if you begin to see behavior in your child that is not imitating what they've seen from you, it's your job to find out where and what, what it is that they're getting this from. Last thing. And I'm sharing this with you just for the purpose of hopefully encouraging to understand that you're not alone, and it's this. You go, you're going to have results, whether they're good or bad, as a parent. You're going you're gonna to have results. You want them to all be good, but they're not. I haven't met a perfect parent or a perfect child. Okay, I know we have Jesus, and I know there was Mary, and I think Joseph got it mostly right, but I didn't meet them, so they don't count. For the rest of us, it's tough. It's tough. 
And that's the beauty of having a church where you have people that are praying for you and pulling for you, celebrating with you in those good results, walking with you, sitting with you, even weeping with you when you get the bad ones. It's hard. And what the evil wants to do is he wants to separate you away from us and make you think, no, this is you as a parent and you are a complete failure. You messed up. Look at what you did. But Jesus died for the bride of Christ, that is us, that we may love one another, serve one another, honor one another, uplift one another. So we do this together. We do this together. So guys, as we step into our next steps, I just realized that I never mentioned what my title of my sermon was, and I apologize for that. Hopefully you have the sermon notes there in front of you. <laughs> that it's about child dedication. Now, we, we dedicate our children to the Lord here. We don't do baby baptisms because we adhere to a believer's baptism. In other words, when someone is going to be baptized, they're going to make a decision for Christ, it is because they understand their situation. They understand that they have sin and they are in need of a Savior. Babies, as beautiful as they are, we buy them little cute outfits, and if you've been to a baby baptism, you, you, there's this wonderful event that occurs and there's, there's refreshments and pictures and video, but the baby remembers nothing. You have to show, you have to show the baby, see how cute you were at your baptism? but they don't remember anything. There was no decision on their part. We practice child dedication because the vast majority of children that are being dedicated don't understand, but moms and dads do. You understand that you need to commit this child to the right ways, the right paths, the right appetites that has a focus on the Lord Jehovah God. And you don't want to do this alone. You need help. And that is where we as a church are prepared to come alongside you and walk this out. So next Sunday, church, we're going to be doing some child dedications. And if you know that this is the time, you know what? It's time to get our child dedicated. It's time for us to get on this path and getting them moving in the right direction. If you look in your seat back, you'll see a card. That card that says connections card on it. You just fill out that top information and then flip it over on the back, right on there. We want to dedicate our child. We want to dedicate our children. And someone from our children's ministry is going to get in touch with you so we can celebrate and do and commit and dedicate and consecrate your children all together to doing this. All right? It's going to be happening next Sunday, but we'll be doing them in the weeks out, but this could be something really cool. Parents, I don't think we've ever talked about this before. A child dedication is a wonderful moment for our church and hopefully for your family. But you might be asking yourself, so we did the, the whole dedication thing, now what? Now what do I do? Now what does this look like? Could I encourage you just in three ways that you could begin this path? 
show your children these three things. Number one, how to talk to God. Show your child how to talk to God. And you might say, I'm working on how to talk to God. Good. Now bring your child along with you. Secondly, show your child how to wait on God. Some of us might say this morning, I'm not even sure if I am waiting on God. All right. Now we know where we're starting from. Now bring your child along with you and say, all right, we're going to wait on God. We just asked him for something that only he can do. Now we're going to wait for God to be God. And finally, show your child how to obey God. Now this is something just from personal confession. I can just go ahead and tell you it was tough for me to see my parents obeying God because I'm trying to fight through them going upside my head as a hard-headed little boy and every now and then I would get a glimpse of something that I saw that would happen to them and they would refuse to respond in the way that the world would do it and they instead extended grace and mercy to someone I know didn't deserve it and man do I embrace those conversations I got to have when I got to say mama how come you were praying for that person when they just did this to you So parents, what if we took the intentionality on and said, you know what, we're going to obey God in this moment. And you gathered your kids together and had a family conversation. And let them see you. Because see, obeying God is simple. It's just not easy all the time. Let them see you as you walk that out. And the final thing I want to say to the kids that are here you could just hear me on this kids young adults students if your parents didn't have any of what we've talked about this morning modeled for them could you please be patient with them it's hard to be a model when no one's modeled that for you that is a tough path I think maybe a phrase that'd be a little more reflective is this cut them some slack Pray for your parents. Because raising you is hard, and you get one shot. And we want to do it right, because we love you. So church, I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we close this morning. We're going to sing a song that speaks to something that we so desire for our families here at North Shore, especially in the form of blessing. But blessing that doesn't just remain in the here and now, but actually gets carried forward to you kids and students and young adults because one day you may be parents. And we want for you to have something to pass on to them so that then those children will have something to pass on to the next. Because the Lord your God is for you. He is for you, parents. So 
Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but he is for you. Kids, he is for you. Students, he is for you. Young adults, he is. 